Okay, everyone, thank you very much for uh, coming, coming back. Uh, my name's Dan Rebellato. It's uh, my pleasure to introduce to you the director and the writer of the show you've just seen, Pomona, uh, Ned Bennett and Alistair uh, McDowell. Uh, I'm going to take the exact approach that the play doesn't and go in chronological order of the show. So, um, Alistair, could you just say something about, can you remember when the first moment when you first had this, the idea that ended up with this play? Um, you know, it's hard because um, the play is now, I think, two years old. Um, and I've done a bunch of stuff since writing it. And, and also, the whole process of how it came together was very um, fragmented, which seems to be more and more with the things I do now, is that there were just a bunch of things. And I guess the first thing was uh, Pomona being an actual... So I live, I live in Manchester, so I kind of I work down here mostly, but I, I, I live in Manchester, so... Um, Pomona's a place that I would go past on the tram um, and it just struck me as being I was just kind of fascinated with it because it was just such it was just so odd because it's just it's slap bang so Manchester over the last couple of years I've lived there 10 years now has changed so much it's becoming sort of they're trying to make it sort of London 2.0 really is what they're trying to do so there's a lot of like big steel glass things built you know new rest everything it's just every time you turn around there's some new thing opening up there and Pomona is sort of in the middle of all of this so it's in between Salford Keys which is where the BBC is now and and the city centre which is all quite new and shiny and posh now and uh, and it's just this like hole in that there was just nothing there and for a while it's only recently I've started noticing people hanging around there and using it as a bit of a park but for ages it was just no it was just never saw and it was a complete ghost town the tram would sort of pull up because it gave it its own tram stop because they presume it's going to get redeveloped and it is getting redeveloped but the tram would like pull up and go you know uh, this is Pomona and the doors would and then no one would get on and no one would get off and then it would just <laughs> then it would go and, uh, and particularly when I went past it at night there was something really haunting about it because since there's no streetlights and since there's water on either side of it, it was just, it was literally like a black hole. Like, I don't know if any there's any computer gamers in, but if you play Command and Conquer, there'd be like a black cloud of a place you hadn't been. It was like that. Like, it was like, it was just this mystery place. So I was kind of obsessed with this and, you know, it just seemed like an interesting forum for something to happen and I didn't really know what I was going to do with it. And for ages, I thought it was just going to be like a ghost story or, a, or something. Um, and then, other thing that happened was I was driving back really late from Newcastle, I think it was, uh, and I, like, really late, and I hit the M60, and I sort of kind of missed my exit, so I just had to, like, go, I, you know, I wasn't particularly great at my geography, so I just went around it for ages, you know, and it was, like, three in the morning, and there was no one, I never saw another car, and it was a really, I mean, it's not that amazing when you talk about it now, but like at the time, if you've only seen a road be like crammed with four lanes of just constant traffic and then suddenly there's no one on it, there was something really spooky about just kind of trekking around this road and just thinking, I could just get out here and just and wander around. And I was fueled on McDonald's because I'd stopped to eat to keep myself awake, which was, as a side note, the best McDonald's I've ever eaten because uh, it was like three in the morning, so there was no queue. So they really made, you know, it was like, it was like, it was like, it was like, it was like artisanal McDonald's, you know? They, uh, and then, um, and, and just to sort of keep myself entertained and awake, I just started talking to this dude and being like, oh, and he, he, t he doesn't have a phone, he just has his meetings, and you just pick him up and drive around and stuff. And, and I think part of that was um, 
I'm, yeah, you know, you probably can't tell, but I'm not much of a, a, a dangerous guy. I've not lived a particularly dangerous life, and it always used to fucking scare the shit out of me when friends of mine would talk about they'd go and buy drugs, and they'd have to get in some dude's car and, like, drive around the block with this guy. And for some reason, this was just this nightmarish thing that really... I had a bunch of horrible nightmares about it and stuff. So I thought, okay, well, I'll put that on the M60. And so then... But I didn't know that it was anything to do with Pomona. This, uh, this I'll come back to a point eventually, you know. And, uh, and then... I guess the thing that, the other thing that sort of sat under that was, um, so I live in Manchester and I work in London and I just am constantly sort of ping-ponging between cities, I guess for the last five, six years or however long I've been sort of doing this now. And um, I just felt like I sort of had started to have a really odd relationship with kind of commuters and, 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 and just kind of the, this, and particularly if you work in a city but you don't have a kind of base there, so I'll come and I'll do like, I don't know, like four or five meetings in a day and just blong them all into one day. But the thing is, is like, I can't always make them back to back. So I'd end up with like an hour or two hours in between where I can't really do anything. It's got to be somewhere eventually. So I just would, I've just walked so much of London, just killing time, just walking it endlessly. Um, so I had this just kind of weird relationship with these two big urban spaces. And I also, um, the band LCD sound system were kind of important because they sort of split up they kind of finished just when I start, was about to start writing the play. And I was never super into them when they started, but I sort of, they, they became so kind of zeitgeisty, I guess. And I realized when they finished that they like, oh, they kind of perfectly soundtrack this particular period of history, which is basically kind of when the internet got mass, like everywhere up until this kind of new so post-social media kind of thing. And they just sounded like I guess what contemporary urban life sounded like to me, which is kind of jittery and, and kind of too much coffee and, and constantly checking my phone, checking it. And, and so all these things were just sort of swimming around and around and around. And really, the, the, the reason it came together was I started kind of, um, I was writing a big history play at the National Theatre Studio, which I'm still trying to get on, but it's, it cost a fortune, so it's a nightmare. But anyway, I won't go into that. But like, it's, um, but it was so big and there was so much plot. It was like juggling so many balls. And I was like, OK, as a treat for when I finish this, the next play, I'm just going to completely free associate. It's just going to be this weird, surreal stream of consciousness. I'm not going to plan anything. I'm just going to blah, 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 blah. But then when I got to it, I kind of started doing that. But gradually, the plot started revealing itself more and more and more to me. And it actually became. I mean, it's a ridiculously plotty play, this, isn't it, really? Like, so it became like arguably as much or more work than the previous one. So that's kind of how it all came together. I, I'll probably, I mean, I, I've been asked that question a couple of times, and I, I never have a very, I always have just this really long, rambly, uninteresting answer for it, because <laughs> it was ages ago, I guess in most, most plays like works of fiction, the general sort of hum of everyday life and the noise of the city or whatever sort of sits slightly further in the background, and I just wanted to like, um, turn the volume up on that a bit. Uh, and I wanted it to, I knew I was writing about a city. I wasn't writing about Pomona and I wasn't writing about, uh, you know, today's life and whatever. I was just, it was about a city and it's not even about Manchester, it's just about a city. So I knew that the form had to fit a city and I wanted it to feel like when you walk down a high street and you'll hear like, here's music from this shop and here's this conversation and here's this and here's this and here's someone trying to sell you something and this and this and this. So. Um, the form and the content came together like quite, uh, quite quickly, quite close together because, um, because the city itself is one of the biggest characters in the play, I think. Um, and I thought that was interesting to write about kind of a geographical space that sort of has some kind of um, 
guts to it, that's not just a place where something happens, but is actually something that is uh, imposing itself on, on, on people, and the people are imposing themselves on it, and that everyone's sort of twisting and twisting and twisting, and circling and circling and circling into this kind of drain. Um, and that, you know, made very little sense, but, you know, I'll tidy it up as we go along with more questions. <laughs> <laughs> Can I ask you where you came in on this project? And I wonder if you remember what your first impressions were of this play. Yeah, um, so it was commissioned by the Royal Court in conjunction with Royal Welsh College. Uh, so they commissioned Ali to write a play for seven of their students for their final year show. Um, then Ali asked me to read it and asked me to do it. And I remember vividly my first impressions being that I loved it and okay. I was just completely hooked by it, completely baffled. Um, and then rang up Ali and just said, I absolutely love it, it's made me feel sick. And I just remember, <laughs> I just remember it being the first play I'd ever read where it gave me nightmares. Right. like consistently after the event um so it had quite had quite a vivid reaction to it the royal welsh thing i mean that's that's really woven into the kind of the, the but it's it i feel slightly dishonest because the thing with is um i was going to write a play anyway and then royal welsh came along with the court and said we want to play for our students and i'd never done that before i'd never been super interested in that but most of the better decisions I think I've, well, most of the decisions I've made in my career have usually been because something seemed funny to me or it amused me to do it. And it seemed funny to me to go, oh, well, they're asking for a play, so I'll give them this fucking weird thing <laughs> and we'll go and do that in Cardiff with students and that'll be a laugh. You know, and it was. It was. And, uh, and yeah. so, so, so um, and I think that's, that seems like a facetious thing to say, but I think that's important to bring up because it feels like it's in keeping with the energy of a play, which is, you know, it's a horrible, grim story full of awful things happening to people, but it, it has this kind of weird jitter, let's do this, let's do this, let's do this, mm. you know, and, and, and I try to make everything around it um, fit in with, with the feel of, of the play, even, you know, where it went, and who was doing it, and how we did it, and things like that and stuff, um, which even, you know, did it at the orange tree and stuff mm. like that, you know, um, but anyway, I've talked over your questions, so... I mean, you said that it, it was a play that gave you nightmares, and I would say that is still an integral part of the experience of the production that you've given it. How, with a play that is as, as strange as this, in many ways, um, how clear was your sense of how you had to do it uh, when you read it, or how far was working in Cardiff absolutely about exploring what the style had to be, how, and, do you want to say something about Yeah, about I think that? I think Cardiff certainly became, for me, a way of very calmly and slowly understanding the story mm -hmm. and understanding what it needs. I think what became clear very quickly in Cardiff and for Richmond was the importance of atmosphere and the importance of creating a feeling in the room. And then I think what we, what we refined between Cardiff and the Orange Tree and then here is uh, how much we let it breathe as a puzzle and how much we tinker with it in terms of, on the one hand, allowing it to be a thriller so that you're, you're keeping the audience uh, hopefully guessing as to what's going on, but also not alienating them too much. Mm -hmm. And so I think the, having that, having that uh, rehearsal process in Cardiff was really vital for that in the first place. And are there any kind of um, sort of influences or touchstones or experiences that you've seen elsewhere that you were trying to bring into this? Um, a lot of music, wouldn't it? Yeah. We were doing yeah. it in Cardiff, you'd be doing improvs, and I would sit in the corner of my laptop and basically DJ and play, uh, but like, I'd play like horrible, discordant, like Penderecki sort of like, you know, like, you see The Shining, like the music they use in The Shining, just lots of just really kind of awful, atonal kind of violin stuff, and, 
and lots of ambient stuff like William Bozinski was someone that we listened to quite a lot stuff like, like we, it was it was a lot of stuff that was about how are we cooking the room like what what are the elements that we're using to cook the room which is so it's kind of I think I overuse a little bit at the moment, but like it's something that I think I'm trying to think of at every single stage. Is even before I've even come up with a story or whatever, it's like how, how what kind of flame am I putting under the room? What, how am I trying to cook the room, kind of thing? Hmm. So we talked about a lot of music, but like uh, it was a lot of stuff, wasn't it? It was quite. I mean, I mean, I've talked to and I wrote that Guardian thing, which um, what people didn't like, where I talked about various influences and stuff like that, but like. Um, one thing that I was thinking about the other day is I kept giving you like uh, old, really old Disney cartoons, like like night, like the first stuff they did, like black and white, just lined stuff. And I kept giving you like, I kept showing you like garbage pail kids stickers, and I kept talking about like silent movies. I kept talking about like like you know like Buster Keaton and like, and it was and and for ages I was just like I don't know why this, but just this is really this for some reason this is what we're going for, and I kind of worked it out recently, and it's like it was about. Um, elasticity in that if you watch like the really really early like Mickey Mouse cartoons or whatever like you know Mickey Mouse will be a cowboy but he'll come in and he'll actually be like shooting people and then he'll smoke a cigar and then he'll like you know and, and there's there's this and with and the same with you know watching Buster Keaton sitting in front of a train like hoying sleepers there's something where it's it's undeniably comic but there's just this weird tension where it's like you know people could die here this is not mm. like this is not safe zone this is not and 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 that was kind of important because the play is threaded through with lots of humour and comic moments and there's lots of kind of colourfulness and stuff. And, and it's also got lots of really horrible, horrible kind of dark moments. And I, I just constantly wanted it to be like, well, it could just switch at any moment. Like, you don't know if we're going into kind of nightmare territory or mm -hmm. if we're going to have a big gag here or, or whatever. And, um, and, and because I think that's just what I generally want from theatre is I just want to not have any clue what's going to happen next, basically, is I think the number one thing I want. Like, you even if I hate it, I think. You <laughs> mentioned uh, uh, Buster Keaton. It was, it, I, I was struck watching it again today. So we have Ollie, Zeppo and Keaton, which obviously would seem to suggest Laurel and Hardy and Marx Brothers and yeah. Buster Keaton. Was that, was that in the writing? Is that one of those things where you go, this is something I seem to be doing, don't in interrogate it? Or it, was it actually, is there a kind of thing, no, I want to kind of signal, there's a comedy thing going on in here, or what? Um, I think the names, so the names are all, give me away any secrets here, the names <laughs> are all um, uh, uh, kind of old comedians. So Zeppo's one of Marx Brothers, uh, mm. Mo is Three Stooges, Ollie, um, and then there's Gail and Faye. Faye, oh, that's Harry. A, Faye, Faye what? Was Harry. Yeah. But no, but Faye and Gail, they're both, they're both lesser known, but, but equally oh, kind okay. of um, of the same kind of similar period. And, um, and obviously Charlie and, and Keaton and stuff. And, and I think, yeah, that kind of happened automatically. Like this, the thing is that the impulse in writing a play, a lot of it was just like, I'm just gonna let my gut yeah. take me where it feels like it's gonna go. And giving them these names that, that just put a really, it put kind of quite thick lines around the outside of them. So they were still very real, very human people. But it meant I felt uh, it, it was like I had more freedom to do whatever I wanted with them and to them, and and and, and you know, um, and that they could go in any direction I wanted, and that they could be a seagull if I wanted them to be, mm -hmm. and they, and and you know, um, so so that's that, and and also, I um, so what we talked about as well is that like we didn't want like in the casting or in the or at any point 
for it to be like very, very like Mancunian because it's set in such specific part of Manchester. So even though it's like they go to the Arndale, they don't like to, they don't mention it's the Arndale and stuff like that. I didn't want it to be like, oh, these are people from Manchester mm. in a horrible story about Manchester, some city up north which it rains all the time or whatever, you know. And and I thought it was important to to kind of to not have that and to put it at a slight arm's length. Like you know, this could I, I felt like that let you off a hook. So making it more general and making it more stylized and making it more kind of hyper real uh, means that you can you can put yourself in that or you can take yourself to that or not or you can just or you can do the opposite and hold it in absolute arm's length if you want to kind of thing. But um, but yeah, I think you're right. Um, Ned, can I ask you about in production terms? How do you balance these really apparently quite opposing forces that you have? There is, there's a certain degree that's about realism. And then there's a degree where it's a, a nightmare or a fantasy or a dream. And then also you have these very comic elements. And then, you know, there are moments like, you know, the bit where you've got the sisters suddenly appearing. And when I, was, uh, when I saw it at the orange tree, she put right in front of me. And I have to say, I let out a little scream, <laughs> probably loud enough to be in the show report. But, um, uh, so you've got that mixture of horror and comedy as well. How do you make sure that you're balancing those things and not letting one overtake the other? I think we, I think we didn't, we didn't sort of say right. This is a funny bit, or this is the, the sort of. Actually, we did say that with scary bits. Right. We did talk <laughs> about, we did talk about how we can, uh, you know, use the space in order to sort of manipulate what's going on. Well, horror and is more mechanical than comedy, isn't it? I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the comic stuff wasn't massively planned, to be honest. Right. Um, but certainly, the early conversations Georgia Lowe, the designer, and I had were about. With set, with, particularly with those early scenes, because they're, they're at the end of the characters' stories, how we could visually create gestures that were sort of operatic, mm -hmm. because we don't know who the characters are yet, so we don't need to... I, I think we felt that we didn't need to present them in a naturalistic way. Right. So with the fight, we needed, to, we needed to find a way of making it as brutal and as sort of vivid and hopefully memorable for later on, so that when Mo then says to Charlie, hit me, yeah. we remember what happened at the beginning. Um, and then likewise with the pills, and, and we sort of did lots of experiments with having them come from the ceiling at one point and that sort of thing. Right. So it was, it, was, it, was also, it was also, I think, when we started working at this time, I sort of, we felt that we wanted to embrace a bit more the fact that Ali's chosen to use a uh, role-playing game as a, uh, as a sort of parallel, or as a, some kind of narrative framing device. And so I wanted to, more so here, make it fun make it really fun as, as far as possible. And sort of particularly with, say, uh, the Dungeons and Dragons scene between Charlie and Keaton, bring out their inner children and, and yeah. just, you know, go back to us playing in the playground and that sort of thing. So it was about sort of balancing those energies. I felt very much this evening, more than I've felt before, that it's possible that the entire thing is a, a role-playing fantasy game, um, which obviously is about the change of emphasis in the, in the production. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we... Ali and I talked about this before Richmond, and at first we were sort of like, that's just there, so let it be just there, the fact that Charlie's playing the game, the fact that Ollie takes over Keaton's story. Mm -hmm. But I think this time round, yeah, we were just a bit like, let's, let's run with it a bit more, so, you know, let's draw the parallel more clearly, visually, between uh, the laptop uh, that Faye steals and the Necronomicon book. Yeah. Um, and how uh, Ollie's life carries on whilst they're playing the game and how the sort of storytelling of that can be overlapped. 
I've got one uh, one more question. I'm going to hand it over to you, and it's 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 the stupid question. You you started by saying the first time you read it, you were baffled by it, and uh, Ali, you've been talking about the writing process is very very sort of instinctive and just following your well, it was to start off with, but it as the plot revealed itself, it became a lot more. I mean, story is seem like mm. I don't know. Whenever I get asked to do a workshop, it's about story. That seems to be I, I don't I don't seem to be able to think in any other way really, right. as in with quite meaty narratives really. So it did start off as being oh this collection of kind of moments, but then it'd be like oh well this person knows this person, and then it started. So that was kind of because uh, when I started writing it, I didn't know what was underground. I had no idea. Right. I knew it was something bad, and I knew all all of the other people in the play were gradually getting closer to it, um, but. It, it didn't reveal itself until quite late to me, um, and I thought that was that was fun. That was probably one of my favourite things about it, and and that's what I try and do with stuff at the moment is is really plan quite vigorously as much as possible, but in potentially gaps, so that there's room for kind of um, because then what happens is you know it's a bit artsy fartsy about it. the characters will, will just instinctively like lurch because they have to go in that direction, you know. Mm. So um, in the end, when we find out what's going on, um, I think in isolation, if you describe, oh, and then they, you know, it's, it's what the, that's a pretty outlandish, but I think in the course of a play, I remember when I was writing it, just thinking, oh, well, of course it's that. Like, there's nothing else it could have it been. It was obvi obviously headed towards that, you know? Um, and in the journey uh, through, I guess, kind of three distinct production points, do you feel like you've got, what's your view now about what it's, what it's about, why, what it's saying, what it's talking about? I realise that's a really difficult question yeah, to man. answer. Uh, but I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, I don't know. I change my mind about it all the time. And, and also, you know, I've been with it for a long time and I, I'm not the best uh, commenter on it anymore, really, because I have a, such a different relationship to it than anyone else. I think a big part of it is about, when I look at like each scene in isolation and how they work with each other, a big part of it seems to be about um, like commerce, like buying and selling, like, like mm -hmm. how, giving and taking. Um, and the bit that kind of flags that up for me the biggest is that the scene um, uh, always seems to go down pretty well with the, the foot across mm. the, I think the reason that people like that scene um, is obviously it's, um, very well performed and 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 obviously I'm a legend and I wrote it so there you <laughs> go. But, uh, I think the real reason that that, that like that, that scene sticks with people is because um, uh, it's the one point in a play where two people act actually completely connect with each other. Mm. And the actual tragedy, if you think about it, is that the one moment in a play where that happens is something where some a moment where someone has paid someone else to be in their presence. Mm. Um, which really bummed me out when I realised that, you know. But um, <laughs> there's not much I can do about that. But I think, I, 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 when I see it more and more, it seems it seems to be a lot about that. That everyone is, it's a play full of people buying each other and selling each other and being paid to hurt each other or selling their bodies or buying people's bodies or, or, or things like that, you know. And um, but also, I mean, it can be whatever people want it to be. I think some people mm. just think it's a kind of little horror story really which is fine too there's nothing wrong with that thank you very much okay i fear the national are going to lock us in if we stay in longer so can i ask you to join me in thanking ned bennett and i'll <laughs>